Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I am your host Matthew Roberts and this is series 2 episode 119. Uh, we are now diving into the April 27th to May the 3rd week. So we are breaking into May uh, during this week, uh, covering Mosiah chapter 7 to 10 in the strength of the Lord. We're going to work through the um, personal scripture study sections as normal. Uh, we're looking first at Mosiah chapter 7 verses 14 to 33. If I turn to the Lord, trust him and serve him, he will deliver me. Now, I think it's worth uh, having a bit of context uh, here because it can get a little confusing at this stage of the Book of Mormon as to who is speaking or what's happening as during this week we have a bit of a, of a, bit, we have a, bit of a flashback. Uh, so in, ver in chapter 7, um, King Mosiah II, who is the son of King Benjamin, is wondering what has happened to the people um, that were sent out uh, to go and find the land of Nephi. Um, well, at this stage, we are we are looking, and and King Mosiah the second is wondering about a group of people who went off uh, to find the land of Nephi, uh, which is the land of their first inheritance. And these people, we have to presume, went, went during the reign of King Benjamin, uh, because they are referred to in words in Omni. Sorry, um, after we learn about who King Benjamin is. We also know that in this group there was a man who was strong, uh, strong and mighty, and a stiff, stiff-necked man. Uh, we also know that a brother of Amalekai, who who wrote in the book of Omni, um, went with this group as well. So King Mosiah um, um, allows a man called Ammon uh, to go and find this people. Uh, now, what's interesting, first of all, is the origin of the name Ammon. Um, Hugh Nibley said this, quote, Nephi taught that he made a record which consists of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. King Benjamin and Moroni also described an Egyptian influence in the Book of Mormon writings in Mosiah chapter 1 verse 4 and Mormon chapter 9 verse 32. Hugh Nibley explained that, uh, sorry, well, uh, he said, Hugh Nibley explained that Ammon, or Ammon, is the commonest proper name in the Book of Mormon, and also the commonest and most revered name in the Egyptian Empire. Close quote. I say it was a quote, obviously it wasn't a complete quote, but he said the, the, the last bit. And what's interesting about that is that, yeah, there's an obvious link there, and did, you know, those of us that have had, you know, a high school education, which is far more than Joseph Smith did, did we know that? No way, I didn't know that. And so, you know, the likelihood that Joseph Smith would have known that is very, very little. Uh, and so, you know, there's some another link uh, to the uh, the truth of the Book of Mormon there, of it being an, a, a historical record. Anyway, the people that Ammon took with him to find the land of Nephi, they find it after travelling for 40 days. And the question of that is, was it really 40 days or was it simply 40 days given to it because it was a long time? We're not sure. Doesn't really matter to the story, but we know that they travelled quite a while uh, into um, to find the land of Nephi because they got lost. They were captured by the people there, but it turns out that they were captured and, and imprisoned by this people because this people were under persecution by the Lamanites. Um, they're led by a king called King Limhi, um, who at first is cautious of them, but when he finds out that they uh, were people from Zarahemla, he rejoices uh, because they thought that the people of Zarahemla were lost and that they were dead um, because 
he had he himself had sent a search party for the to the land of Zarahemla, and they came back with, well, we'll find out um, tomorrow uh, when we when we study the next section. But let's go straight into um, the actual section we're looking at. Um, in verse seventeen, after King Limhi has learned about the truth of the people of Zarahemla being still alive. It says in verse 17, And now it came to pass on the morrow that King Limhi sent a proclamation among all his people, that thereby they might gather themselves together to the temple, to hear the words which he should speak unto them. It's interesting that they, that they gather at the temple. Uh, Daniel C. Peterson said this, quote, The society in which the Nephite kings ruled was a temple-centered one. The king made important announcements at the temple, both in the society of Zarahemla and in, Zer in Zenith's derivative society in the land of Nephi. When Jesus Christ appeared to the Nephites, he came to them at the temple in the land of Bountiful. Even King Noah lavished money upon his temple in which his chosen priests served. Close quote. So yes, even with the wicked King Noah, who we'll learn about next week, the temple was still a central point of the people, a very important part of the, of the land. Verse 19, I'm going to read this because my wife uh, picked it out as one of her favourite verses of this week's study. It says, Therefore, lift up your heads and rejoice and put your trust in God, in that God who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and also that God who brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and caused that they should walk on the, through the Red Sea on dry ground and fed them with manna that they might not perish in the wilderness. And many more things did he do for them. It's interesting, um, this verse, because obviously it reminds us how these verses should be applied to us today. I mean, obviously we can learn about how we can be delivered today out of tribulation because we have a lot of tribulations going on in the world, uh, particular to us. And these principles still apply to us. I think that in the stories of the large plates of Nephi, it's very easy to get lost in the stories, particularly after we finish King Benjamin's sermon. We have the stories of Abinadi, we have the stories of um, King Noah, we have the stories of Alma the Younger, we have the, the, the war stories and all these things. And I think it's very easy to get lost in the narrative rather than focusing on the principles that can be taught, just like in verse 19, because they do apply to us today. As I mentioned before, we have very real challenges that are on the horizon for us. And so this a verse like this will be um, important for us to take um, heart from. In verse 21, uh, we learn a bit about Zenith uh, and his people. We learn that Zenith was an overzealous person to inherit the land of his fathers. Um, and then there was the cunning and craftiness of King Laman to, to trick them to get um, under their servitude. Um, Clyde J. Williams said this, quote, Zenith's, Zenith's overzealousness led him to make an unwise agreement with one whose ultimate purpose was to bring these Nephites into bondage. While we question the wisdom of Zenith, we could ask if the same kind of zeal causes people today to make agreements or sign contracts that will ultimately place them in political or financial bondage. Individuals can be overzealous for material possessions, or they can become so involved in a cause or in their work that they begin to neglect the weightier matters that are most important, such as family, church, and service to others." Close quote. And that is, you know, a very real principle that we need to be aware today of, you know, contracts or agreements or things which would bring us into further challenge financially, uh, you know, in, in the world of work, uh, in, in politics, in whatever situation we, we work in, we must do things in wisdom and in, and in order. Uh, in Mosiah chapter 7, verse 22, um, just as a little side note, because again, I'm not... You know, I'm not particularly one that likes to to um, look at all the proofs and 
the research and to say, you know, this is why, you know, um, scholar in a scholarly sense, the Book of Mormon is a true record. But it is interesting to me, those things, uh, whilst I may not uh, put all my efforts into studying those aspects for those uh, physical proofs of the Book of Mormon, they are interesting to know about. And this is one of them, barley. Now, it was a long, um, in verse 22, it talks about the corn and grain uh, was paid as tribute to the Lamanites. Again, a very real um, situation that will have happened in those days, uh, the, the point of paying tributes. But barley was obviously was uh, a point of contention with some people, and some critics of the of the Book of Mormon argued that this evidence of barley being in South in Central South America wouldn't have happened. Uh, and at the time that Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon, there was no evidence that barley was a seed uh, grown in the Colombian New World. Uh, but as we found out later in 1983. Archaeologists first uncovered a domesticated form of barley native to the Americas uh, in pre-Columbian uh, times. It, it was called little barley, uh, and it and more and more evidence has been found since that 1985 discovery, uh, 1983 discovery, that barley was grown in um, and cultivated in the southwest parts of Mexico and other places in south, central Southern America. Uh, and so again, you know, the example that. If you know that we need that we need to have patience in learning about uh, things of the gospel, and not just say, "Oh, well, there's no evidence of barley, right? Well, the book can't be true." When actually, in, in well, what was nearly 150 years later, it, there was evidence found uh, for this. Uh, and then finally, in verse, uh, well, uh, King um, Lemhi continues to explain to his people that um, you know they have had challenges because of their choices. They've had difficulties, um, and then he teaches them that, um, that the Lord will help them uh, if if they will turn to him with full purpose of heart in verse 33. In verse 31, he, he says this, And again he saith, If my people shall sow filthiness, they shall reap the wheat, the east wind, which bringeth immediate destruction. The idea of this east wind was uh, was again one which um, explained, well, but what people used in that time in the, in the old world to explain if you have make wrong choices, then the east wind, wind will be sent, and it's a, it's a destructive force. Uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie and Donald W. Parry said this, quote, The east wind is a destructive wind which originates in the east, the symbolic direction of the deity's presence. Also called the wind of the Lord, in Hosea 13, it is prepared by God for the purpose of destroying the ungodly and unrighteous. The Lord has stated, if my people sow with filthiness, they shall eat, reap the east wind, which bringeth immediate destruction. Hence they are smitten with the east wind, close quote. And this was quite a typical um, belief or practice of understanding in the old world. And, and again, you know, it just demonstrates the um, the link between the cultures with the Book of Mormon people and, and that context at the time they were living in. Uh, so yeah, 33, if you will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind, if you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. And so we shall see uh, tomorrow how the people will um, now turn to the plates which they find late, uh, early, found earlier and uh, some of the principles that we can learn from this. Thank you for listening today. If there's anything you've been studying, please share it at MattSRoberts90 on Twitter. Uh, you can email session at gmail.com. And of course, there is always the Facebook uh, group, where, which is called Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. Please join, share with your friends, and we'll hear from more people. Until we meet again.